When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who finally feels like her head can be clear after beating both Phantom Liberty and Baldur's Gate 3. First runs are done. Now I can go back to casual mode of playing when I feel like it. You aren't still, like, held by the throat by either of them? Because <laughs> that's me. Oh, very much so. But I don't feel like every moment of my day needs to be devoted to it. It, it, it Now I feel like I can interact with my friends again. <laughs> I'm And I'm Bravada, and I'm pretty sure my husband's waiting for that day when Baldur's Gate doesn't have me hook, line, and sinker. Although I haven't played it the last two days because I've just been too busy. But... I listen to the soundtrack when I work because I just need it in my life in some way. And I read fan fiction at night before bed. <laughs> oh, soundtrack, definitely. Raphael's song, I'm sorry, but that is a legit and amazing yes. song and I love it. I love that song and I cannot wait to get to that part in the game. I haven't even got to that part yet. But I listened to the soundtrack first because I am a soundtrack girl. And um, gosh, when that song came on, I was like, this is like Disney Renaissance from the 90s villain level. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I love it. All the yes. Oh, but we are not here to talk Baldur's Gate. (laughs) We will eventually. I promise we are so eager and ready to start talking Baldur's Gate. But we have a core franchise left that we absolutely love and adore. Going to get to first. So if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Sometimes a little too fun, as we'll find out tonight. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two or more characters using specific in-game dialogue. So if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this is not the podcast for you. So here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7. And just like with all of our previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question. But we will be providing context for those of you who may be unfamiliar. We are back in Thetis. And this time, there's a giant hole in the sky. It's acid green. It's dripping demons. And yet there's still time for love at the end of the world. 
That's beautiful, isn't it? Today's character is not an agreeable girl. She's not the quietest nor the wealthiest. She certainly isn't the gentlest. But she is marriage material if you play your cards right. We're talking about none other than the rogue and friend of Red Jenny, Sarah from Dragon Age Inquisition. Inquisition! Actually, V, honey, before I play this audio clip, I think we need to take just a split second here for you and I. Okay. It's tonight's special. Oh, yeah! It is our 100th episode. Episode number 100. Are you kidding me? Yeah. We are just shy of our two-year anniversary. I could not imagine... One, not talking to you every week for the last two years. But this podcast has definitely changed so many awesome things in my life. And now you're actually physically here with me. I I know. You're like 20 minutes away, but still. Better than across the country. And next weekend is our second video game convention panel. Right. So, Do you remember our first episode? We recorded it like four times before we even put it out there for the first for the first time. And it still sounds the absolute worst out of all of our episodes. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. But I'm not an audio engineer, so I'm and I'm not gonna I, I I every single time I look at our like charts and I see that that firstly our episode is still our number one like every single week listened to i'm like god do people just stop listening and not realize that literally in episode two our audio improves tenfold (laughs) like i i don't even know how to fix it because we don't have like fancy programs or anything we're just doing it with free stuff but wonder (laughs) if we should go back or if we should record like a little hey thanks for checking out episode number one we had the janky audio set up, and it was two girls having fun for the first time together. Wink, wink. And now, if you continue listening past episode one, you'll find we get so much better. Something along that, and like put it right. Maybe at the that's probably it's probably smart. <laughs> so it's also really special that tonight is episode one hundred, and we're starting a new season, a new game. I love how that also just happened so serendipitously. Serendipitously. <laughs> you know what word I'm trying to say and what, how I was trying to play it off of the word. Yes. Sarah. Yeah. Yeah. And this is a good one. It's not the one that brought us together, but it's it's such a good game with lots of great things. This is why our script for tonight is almost 20 pages. So <laughs> maybe we should get into it or we'll be here all night. That is a very valid point. So here we are, opening line for Sarah. How about the basics? Where are you from? Ferelden. I got that from the accent. Where in Ferelden? All over. Okay, fine. Denimrim for a bit. South, north, wherever I want. There are no connections you want to mention at all? Nope. It's complicated. I don't like complicated. Let's leave it at that. Sarah said she grew up in Ferelden and was an orphan. She is an elf, and unlike the Dalish who call whatever wilderness they find themselves in home, she grew up in an elven alienage. 
Elves are second-class citizens at best and experience varying levels of racism and bigotry towards their kind throughout Theodis. She has a vague memory of being in the Denerim alienage before being caught stealing at a young age and sent to live with a human woman named Lady Tarlined Emald. Lady Emald was unable to have children and viewed Sarah as a surrogate daughter, raising her in the tradition of humans. This makes Sarah an Androstian rather than a follower of any elvish traditions and religion. Sarah actually kinda hates the elves. And while any female inquisitor can romance her, elves actually have a disadvantage, having the least amount of possible approval to be gained by her and can gain extra disapproval in certain situations. So because Sarah is exclusively a lesbian, we will be using she, her pronouns for the Inquisitor character in this episode. Yeah, it's actually interesting too, because if you are a Kunari Inquisitor, you can gain the most approval out of any companion and or any Inquisitor. And Sarah makes it clear that she really likes the way they look. It comes off as almost a kink of hers, but we'll talk about that a bit later. So Sarah was raised to be a normal human kid, and as such, she hates elves, so her and Solus definitely never get along. And as the Inquisitor, you will earn her disapproval if you are too elfy. Whatever that means. She didn't like me in my canon playthrough, to say the least, because I romanced Solus. But back to her childhood. At some point, Lady Emil died. Well, some point before the blight in Ferelden, and Sarah inherited her estate. <gasps> what? Sarah, hater of nobles, prankster of Skyhold, was once Lady Sarah? No. Not really. She rejected the fortune, and we can only assume she then cackled, immediately broke a window, and climbed up onto the roof, never to be seen in finery again. She soon fell in with the friends of Red Jenny after that. I understand fuck the nobility, but why not take the money and run? Like, you can do so much good with that money. It seems very anti-Sarah to reject the fortune because all she does is take Noble's money and keep it for herself when we meet her. Maybe she didn't have the rights to sell the property, so therefore she couldn't have gotten the money. Eh, alright. Yeah. Sarah spends the next few years essentially teaching herself how to be a rogue and an archer. And it's why I never really brought her out on any missions because I was the rogue archer. I don't need two of me. The bow is her weapon of choice for dispatching the rich and arrogant, but she'll stab when the need arises. She lived in Denerim during the Blight, but said she was playing with small painted boxes and burying things she had stolen, rather than fighting or fleeing from the Darkspawn. The mental image of her giggling over a treasure while Denerim burns behind her Darkspawn all around is just the kind of unhinged look we can come to expect from Sarah. 
She did eventually escape Denrim, uh, because at some point, the ratio of darkspawn to people just really wasn't ideal. I think the proper ratio is zero darkspawn to any amount of people. <laughs> but Sarah eventually ended up in the Orlesian capital of Valroyo, a city so full of rich assholes trying to masquerade their way through the Game of Thrones so much that they literally constantly wear actual masks. What a perfect place for a devoted friend of Red Jenny to set up shop. And this is where your Herald of Andraste, your Inquisitor, will eventually meet her. Well, first you'll find an arrow with a note attached to it, and then You'll have to find another note with an arrow, and then you'll have to fight off a bunch of pantsless Orlesians, but isn't that just something so Sarah? Once you do that, and Sarah's in your group, you get to see her first tarot card. There is an additional bit of analysis we get to do for this game, as the tarot cards that represent each character all mean something and change depending on the narrative choices and relationship statuses. Each character's card is based off of a real tarot card for the Major Arcana, which gives unique insight to the characters they were chosen for. I have a bunch of the tarot cards in coaster format, too. Sarah's default card design shows her atop a wall, looking towards a building, but not down at it. The design is reflective of the Fool card, which represents new beginnings, potential, innocence, and spontaneity. Sarah can certainly be described by all of those words. She is one of, if not the youngest, of the Dragon Age Inquisition companions. Being a child during the blight of 940 Dragon means that she is at most in her early 20s during Inquisition. Her card in reverse can mean naivety, chaos, and judgment. The design of Sarah's specific card suggests that she is a risk-taker, independent, and one who moves on blind faith or gut feelings. Being a vague Androstian and someone who killed a noble in front of the Inquisitor because, as she said, she knows people and she could tell he was a bad person, tracks for the blind faith and gut feelings. Speaking of blind faith... Hers gets quite shaken. The ancient thing trying to kill us seems pretty real. Don't get me started. Oh, wait, too late, right? A magister who cracked the Black City. It's a hazy dream, right? I mean, if it's real, real, then the seat of the maker? Real thing. A seat needs a butt, so the maker? Real thing. Fairy stories about the start and end of the world? Real things. It's too much, isn't it? How pretty are you that I actually think this shite is possible? I like to hear this. The pretty part, not the overwhelmed by everything part. Oh, sure. Don't mind the bung rip through the heavens, love. Primp and toss and all is well. What I want is to get everything back to business as usual. A nice simple system with simple problems. Helps me, helps people, helps you. In that order. For now. <laughs> Gosh. Every time I'm like, oh, that was a cute thing to say, Sarah, and then she keeps talking. Um, also, I just want to say, um, I did a typo. I'm sorry. The blight was a 930 dragon. I just typoed it because my brain holds multitudes and is not is not equipped for that. Uh, so I'm sorry. <laughs> just want to clarify that. 
Except for when the blight happened in Ferelden. It was 9.30. And then it ended in 9.31 dragon. Anyway, so. so. Does that mean that her age is different? Or is she still in her 20s? Or is she... No, she's still in her 20s. It just, the script says 9.40 dragon for the blight. And it was 9.30. So, like, 9.40 is around when Inquisition starts. Got it. So, back to the clip. Let's just scooch it on back. So I thought that this clip illuminated a lot about Sarah. If you didn't have the misfortune of playing as an elf, trying to romance her, especially an elven mage, then you may not know that there are two things Sarah hates above all others, nobles included, magic and elfy elves. Let's just take a second to talk about her character from a design standpoint. It does tie into this hate that she has. For one, she visibly does not look like other elves because her character model used a human body model, not an elf one. It even comes into play in the game's mechanics, allowing her to equip only human armor rather than elven armor. Two, her accent, which is the bane of many people's lives when playing this game. They really don't like her voice for some reason. But um, if you listened to our interview ages ago with Ben Sabin, you might remember our friend from across the pond waxing poetic about how much he disliked her voice. I certainly do. And this was, what, two years ago now almost? Or like a year and a half ago? Unlike every other elf in the game, she speaks with an extremely pronounced East London slash Cockney accent, where other elves speak with a Welsh accent. Well, at least they started speaking with a Welsh accent in Dragon Age 2, but most elves have a Welsh accent. The ones who don't are the ones who were not raised elfy, as Sarah would call it, or they're your inquisitor because we only had two voice options and none were Welsh. Yeah, because I was like, Zev in Origins was Spanish. So yeah, he doesn't I, fit the mold either. It, the elfy elves have the Welsh accent. Yeah. Like Meryl, like Solis, like a bunch of the elves, like Dalish elves and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And Zevran is Antivan, so not Dalish. Makes sense. All right, her accent is used as a shorthand to tell you these key traits about her. She is a commoner through and through. Not fancy. She also is not like the other elves, to the point that she has a massive case of internalized racism. But namely, she is not culturally like other elves. She speaks the human commoner language of Ferelden. And like most human commoners of Ferelden, she's a casual acceptance of the Maker and Andraste, but isn't exactly devout. However, watching Corypheus monologuing about finding the Golden City empty has made her question everything. Sarah, if you haven't noticed, doesn't like thinking very much. She prefers action and reaction. Her first instinct is to believe that the Maker is real. But don't get your hopes up if you think she'll extend that courtesy to the Elven gods. That is a massive point of contention in the relationship after the Temple of Mythal. But we'll get there. For now, we are at Skyhold setting up the Inquisition, and trying to organize combat against Corypheus. 
Kerifi Dick, if you're Sarah, or whatever else she calls him. <laughs> oh my gosh, so many things. Yeah. At some point after the migration to Skyhold and the fancy cutscene with the song, Sarah will receive a tip that some people are getting hurt by a land squabble in Vershel, Vershiel, Versh- I don't know, or Legion. This is her personal quest. So she then uses her new connections with the Inquisitor to ask to divert troops to march through the city and spook the nobles, which sounds an awful lot like a noble thing to do. So, God damn it, Ollie. Shut up! Sorry. So, if you do that, which you have to in order to romance her, especially if you're an elf, you gotta work for that approval. Sarah will later say, yay, that worked, let's go get the reward. And as soon as you show up, you're ambushed. And Sarah's friend who gave her the tip is sadly killed. Don't remember their name. So, not that sad, I guess. Lord Pell Harmond is revealed to be the noble murderous douche. And is surprised to see that the Inquisitor herself is a part of this whole scheme. He proposes a partnership because, you know, he wants to live. Obviously, Sarah doesn't like that. Yeah. Your options as a player are to accept the deal, which we aren't doing because we are romancing Sarah tonight. Tell him to leave or have Sarah kill him outright. Uh, that's what I accidentally did. Because I asked too many questions. If you spend too long talking to the guy, Sarah will just kill him anyway. Beating him to death so brutally that the Inquisitor, while stopping her, says, is basically making wine at this point. Ew. Once you're back in Skyhold, Sarah's reaction will depend on how you handled the noble. Hopefully you let her kill him so her approval is high enough to trigger her next personal scene. Now the romance hasn't officially started just yet, but there have been plenty of opportunities to flirt up until now. Once her approval is high enough, Sarah will ask the Inky to have a surprise picnic on the roof of the tavern. I got caught stealing when I was little, yeah? You get alienage or worse for that, but the Lady Emold took me in. She was sick and couldn't have children. I had no parents. It worked out. Anyway, she gets a year sicker, so I ask her about cookies. Because mums make cookies. I can pass that down or something. Turns out, she couldn't cook. She missed that talk with her mum. The one she made, she bought and pretended. Ah, right. Well, no, she was a bitch. She hid buying them by keeping me away from the baker. She did that by lying that he didn't like me, didn't like elves. She let me hate so she could protect her pride. I hated him so much and I hated... Well, she died. And I hate pride. Pride cookie. But this is great, you're great. So I thought maybe me and you could make some. I don't know, us cookies. Because then I could like them again. Oh, stupid. Wanna make some us cookies? Yes. Um, as long as it's not on the roof of a tavern with Sarah. But, but yeah, whenever. The cookies are an analogy. I get it, everybody. But um, to what? I don't know. Not, not between me and Jen. You guys are never find out. <laughs> <laughs> I love... We've literally gotten comments like, my favorite ship is you two. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I love it. 
<laughs> um, okay, so before we talk about what Sarah said about cookies, I want to mention how she talks. She does a lot of what's called Buffy speak. It's also called Whedon speak because he wrote shit, but I like Buffy speak better, which we've defined in the show before. In case you forgot that... Good, Ollie! Ollie! He does not give a shit. Okay, so we've defined in the show, but before... Oh my god. But in case you forgot, that's when a character talks too fast or uses less intelligent sounding words to describe things. Mainly due to being young or inexperienced versus just being stupid. So like calling a knife a stabby stab or like Morrigan a sneaky witch thief. That sort of thing. Sarah also doesn't seem to process information at all, like the rest of the companions. And her conversations are very hard to follow sometimes. She gets upset very quickly over seemingly innocuous things and does not like her beliefs challenged in any way. Less in a stubborn way, but more in a this-is-destroying-my-entire-identity way. She's clearly neurodivergent, neurospicy even. Although I wouldn't claim to know exactly what's going on there. Some people have called it ADD, autism, whatever fits your personal opinion, I guess. But I mean, I think it's nice to see a character like that in a game. But sometimes it makes it really hard to understand what Sarah's talking about. I could definitely see being on the ADD spectrum because she's a little all over the place uh and hyper fixating yeah. on some things yeah yeah i can relate i'm pretty sure i got that my sister got diagnosed with it and i just claim it because we're twins and we're very similar <laughs> i could see that but yeah as far as what she says this is actually a cute interaction that gives us some insight into her personality which is far less cute as a child she just wanted to belong I imagine it is incredibly hard to grow up an elf in Denerim. Even harder to grow up an orphan during the Blight. This is another point of the Sarah is neurodivergent column, however. While it may not appear to be that big of a deal to buy cookies versus make them, it is to Sarah who has an incredibly binary view of good and bad justice and injustice. It's definitely wrong to have lied and told a child that a baker was racist, rather than admit that you can't bake cookies. But Sarah carries this in her heart so much that she now hates eating cookies. This applies to every other aspect of Sarah's life as well. You will earn her disapproval if you question her beliefs. And once you've locked in a romance, you will either have to agree with her completely or break up with her. Yeah, there's quite a few ultimatums with her. And it's not equal across the different Inquisitors either. For every flirt dialogue option where a non-elf Inquisitor would gain plus five approval... A Lavellan Inquisitor gains only plus one. And to really emphasize her Kunari preference, Adar and Kadash Inquisitors get plus 15 approval. Pro-elf statements from non-elf Inquisitors get no approval or disapproval. 
But if Lavellan says something pro-elf, Sarah disapproves. This makes Solus a foil to Sarah. And a little fact that I enjoy about this is that Sarah, in this clip we just played, says she hates pride. And Solus actually means pride in the elven language. So she's kind of inadvertently saying she hates him, even though she, of course, doesn't speak elvish, because that would be too elfy of her. She doesn't hide her resentment of the sneaky mage, however. If Lavellan romances Solus, Sarah will actually make a very unkind comment about how they should just drop him and rebuild the empire. As in, the elves only romance elves to have elven babies, because in Thetis, a half-human, half-elf baby just looks human, like Alistair. I wonder what a half-elf, half-kunari baby would look like. You're never going to find out, because Sarah's a lesbian. Well, okay, <laughs> not with Sarah, but... Yeah. Hmm. That would Maybe be interesting. Look, like, short kunaris. I'm not really sure. Maybe or a horny elf. A horned elf. That would look cool. Okay. Now, this trope is known as fantastic racism. Which doesn't mean fantastic, but it's more like fantasy or fantastical racism. It is possible to romance Sarah as a Lavellan Inquisitor, but it is far more challenging. This sucks, but it does give an interesting twist on the classic romance side quest formula of most RPGs up until this point in history. Dragon Age games have varied approaches on how you romance your companions, and all games are variations on this theme because there aren't very many ways to have romance in games without some kind of formula. Unlike Origins, where you simply had to do their personal quest and give gifts, maybe say the right dialogue here and there, and then the romance was set. And unlike Dragon Age 2, where you had the friendship and rival paths to romance, Inquis Inquisition adds in approval in a concrete sense. No longer do you simply have to complete a personal quest and flirt enough. You have to be the type of person the companion would want to be with. Their views on the world, their preferences, and their morals come into play. They won't want to be with you if you make decisions that go against those beliefs. And that goes a long way to making these relationships feel more fleshed out and more nuanced than those of previous games. Speaking of fleshed out, after enough time has passed and you've earned her approval, you can finally sleep with Sarah. Sarah is very into sex and is also very into being absolutely ridiculous. Sarah? I'm inviting you up to my chambers. No, I'm racing you there. I win. I lock the door. Come on, Teetness. Show me what you've got. <laughs> I love a good pet name. Sweetheart. Darling. Lover. Shepherd, baby, sweetheart. Love of my life. But Teetness... I appreciate that you like my boobs, Sarah. Really, I do. But teats are on cows. And unless you're relating me to a cow, I'm really not feeling this nickname for me. I'm sorry. 
Now, this isn't the sex scene that I will break down later, but it is implied with the fade to blacks and dialogue that you have sex with Sarah at least three times in the game throughout her romance, not including the Trespasser DLC. Now, the next big scene with Sarah is at the ball at the Winter Palace during Wicked Eyes and Wicked Hearts. But before we get there, let's take a quick mid-break to listen to the sponsors of the show, hear some fun facts, and thank our patrons. Oh, V, we get to think of a new dance. I mean, the Winter Palace dance, right? The formal dance that you have to do. A nice little waltz into the mid-break. I don't want to dance with Sarah. That's fine. You don't have to okay. dance with Sarah. Souls with his stupid little hat on. That's what I want. <laughs> I love my big, burly Kunari trying to squeeze into his red outfit and, like, his horns just being out to here and dancing beautifully with me. I love it. Imagine he's just one big shrug away from ripping that off his own body. Mm, yes, please, yes. <laughs> okay. Do we need Dean to dance now, or is this good enough? <laughs> I think that it is good enough, my love. We can actually get to the fun facts. And yay, Sarah is the first exclusively lesbian romance in the Dragon Age series. Yay for representation. I was like, not yeah. diversity wasn't the word that I was looking for, but it's what popped in my head. But representation, I'm here for. And we do say exclusively lesbian romance in Dragon Age. Uh, because we had uh, bisexual options in Liliana, in Origins, and then... Zevran. Zevran's not a lesbian, no matter what way you look at it. Bye, sorry. Oh, yeah. You were saying the buy options? Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I was going with the women. Shoot, sorry. No, it's I not good. everything. No, because we've got <laughs> Lely and then Josephine and Izzy and Meryl. And, yeah. And, that's, and who knows who we'll have in Dreadwolf because they haven't told us anything. Hopefully and the whole gambit. people. So I don't know. Now mm. they're getting sued. It's a whole it's a whole shit show, and I'm real disappointed in Bioware. That's a whole nother thing, though. I don't want to get into that right now. Nope. Sorry. Uh, I realize it's probably my turn to say a fact. <laughs> um, so Sarah is taller than any other female elves in the game. Like, I know this as playing a female elf. You just stand next to her. Um, and despite being an elf, she's a human-trained rogue, so she can't equip elf-trained armor. It's a cool little game mechanic way to shove that point home. Also, there is this quote that I didn't include in the clips, but I thought was just awful way to describe elves. You could ask her, like, why she's never dated an elf before. And she said it's like a bag of chicken necks because elves are kind of like small and, and slight. Mm. And she's rather curvy having the human body model. Mm -hmm. It's like, girl, come on. You don't need to be like that. No. What if, what if that's a Lavellan that wants to romance you and you're telling him? You feel like a bag of chicken necks. Ew. Very ew. But I guess, I mean, then it makes sense that if you don't romance her, she will romance Dagda, the dwarf from Orzammar, who can become your smith in Skyhold. 
which I love for her. I heart Dagna so much. I think she's amazing. And I'm happy that her and Sarah can find each other. I heart Dagna so much, but isn't that so ironic that the entire game, she's like, woof, when she sees a Kunari, like she's so hot for Kunari. And then if you don't romance her, she dates a dwarf who crafts magic items, like seemingly the things that she doesn't like at all. But, you know, Dagna's just that cute, I guess. Yeah, or maybe because Dagna is also very much the contrarian. She's a dwarf who loves magic. Yeah. Do you know what Sarah calls her if she dates her? No. She calls her her Whittle. Oh! She has, like, really interesting nicknames for people. Some of them are actually kind of offensive, but we'll get to that later, too. Oh, yeah, I guess it's my turn again. I keep, like, muting and then realizing it's my turn. Oh, okay, so this one I love. Sarah's the only companion with a tavern song called Sarah Was Never. And the bard in the game, Meriden, says that it was her unsuccessful attempt at wooing Sarah. Like, that song slaps, so I don't know why Sarah didn't let her hit it for it. I don't know. That song was great. And she sings it all the time when you run in the tavern. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Uh, Sarah is voiced by Robin Addison, who also voices Yasholta in Final Fantasy. Yay! We love seeing voice actors branch out into multiple different, uh, not producers, production companies. Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a British actress, and she's in a lot of British programs not too many games and like all the things on her imdb i did not recognize as an american but that's only because it sucks about regions and stuff like i i have britbox but i still don't get everything yeah all right uh we do not have any new patrons to shout out we don't have any new reviews to shout out and i don't even have any new spotify comments somebody go and leave a comment on an episode make me happy And we're still sitting at 143 likes, which I love you. But also, I really want to get it up to 150 before we go to our convention next week, which is the Portland Retro Gaming Con, Sunday, October 15th. The girls will be live in person doing a panel about video game tropes. We can't wait to see y'all lovely listeners there. And of course, in the mid-break, we shout out all of our amazing patrons. Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Daddy Bat Knight, Mystheos, Muffney Cake, Mackenzie and Wynn, Big Love, Major Hearts, all the yay! Yes, thank you so much for your support because this is a ton of work, so we need support and we appreciate it. Okay, are you ready to get back to this very unagreeable girl? I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Let's get to it. Okay, let's set the scene. It's nighttime. The Winter Palace. The Inquisitor stands on an empty balcony. Her face turned up to the night sky. She's taken a quick break from the haste of the power struggles going on inside the ballroom behind her. There's a lull in the music, and the voices from the guests don't carry out here too well. So all she can hear are the ambient noises of the night. Crickets, 
leaves rustling in the wind. It's peaceful. And then Sarah shows up. Hey you! They brought out the booze and now Delance is chucking guts into Lord Sumgit's helmet. You're missing the fun part. What's wrong? I'm just worn out. Tonight has been very long. Well, standing alone out here isn't making it any shorter. Come in, have a drink. Have some fun. We need it. You make a compelling argument. I'm in. Oh, good. It'd be no fun without you. Anyway, come on. They've got a keg of peach brandy. You can fit your whole head in. <laughs> oh. If you can't say anything nice about her, you can at least say that she is keeping the mood light. She is right about one thing. They do need some fun. The world might be ending, and the responsibility for saving it rests entirely on the Inquisitor's shoulder, it seems. One of her earlier interactions with higher approval is playing pranks on the residents of Skyhold, like making Cullen's desk a bit wobbly, or spilling water on Josephine. All very harmless pranks. And all intended not only to provide a moment of levity for both the player and the Inquisitor, but also to keep the Inquisitor and the Inquisition at large grounded. After the prank, Sarah will say, that was fun. And the Inquisitor of the people still remembering that you're one of them. One of them is also one like her. Someone she can relate to. A normal person, not fade touched or goddess chosen, just a person. Sarah says another line at some point that relates to this, and it's something I really like. She says, from the bottom, everyone up top sort of seems the same. This is a great analogy for the upper crust of real life society. I mean, they all do seem the same. But... She herself is guilty of this, too. She generalizes like a motherfucker. And she is full of delicious contradictions. She doesn't like nobles, but she'll happily marry a noble Trevelyan Inquisitor. She doesn't like nobles using their wealth and power to keep themselves in power. But she's happy to use the Inquisition's resources to scare some nobles. As a Red Jenny, she'll kill, hurt, or... Otherwise inconvenience any noble that gets suggested through the grapevine simply because they seem like they are bad by virtue of being rich. Yet, if an Inquisitor points out to her that she does basically the same thing nobles do, hurting people and pocketing the gold, not spreading the wealth to the little people, she'll just brush it off. After all, she says she hates learning lessons because it makes her stomach hurt. It's even more hypocritical with an elven inquisitor. She will constantly condemn elves as being too elfy and even break up with the elven inquisitor if, after Mithal's temple, the inquisitor doesn't immediately condemn the elven gods as just demon worship and a bunch of fake nonsense. A player that wants their elven inquisitor to be culturally elvish will face an ultimatum from Sarah. Either say that LV elves are stupid and stuck in the past, or break up with her. This is ironic, 
because she is still an elf with a bow. Arguably the most elfy weapon out there. (sighs) Thanks, Legolas. (laughs) She has a very warped and immature sense of justice, filling her pockets with gold. But it's okay because it's noble gold. She's not stealing from the poor, but she's no Robin Hood either. Mm-hmm. A rebel without a cause is like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's something to do, but ultimately a waste of time. One of the tropes used to craft her can be summed up by the phrase low-class lout. Vulgar, crass, loud, uneducated, and violent. Sums up Sarah pretty well, although despite her education, or uneducation, <laughs> she has some straightforward wisdom that can stun even the most bookish companion, like Solas. Speaking of Solas, obviously Sarah can't stand him, referring to him as elfy or droopy ears, which is apparently a slur for elves that are too elfy for her. And she'll refer to Cole as it or creepy, which bothers me because Cole is baby. Do not speak ill of him. She can be quite mean-spirited and has a hard time considering the needs of anyone outside of the common folk, content to shove mages back into towers and everything back to normal. Right, because maintaining the status quo, that's always the best option. Everything going back to normal would be beneficial for her, which is why her and Vivian actually share a lot in common which hear me out on that one because oh now both grew up in poverty until thriving in Orlay, and both want to return of the status quo as quickly as possible for their own gain vivian to use the circle and court power for her own gain and sarah to steal from the rich and put that gold directly into her own pocket No one here will argue that Sarah is the most morally good of the possible romance options. But she isn't all bad. She is in between. And she does mature in the two years between Inquisition and Trespasser. But we'll get to that. For now, we need to talk about the new tarot card that Sarah gets after you complete her companion quest. The Star. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Like her previous card, The Fool, the star is ruled by the air element. In the Major Arcana, the star sits between the tower and the moon cards, or Solus and Cole. And those cards represent great change and illusion, respectively. The star is a card of hope, inspiration, and healing. It follows the tower card, which represents trauma, to show that healing after hurt is indeed possible. While we can't erase Sarah's hard past, we can help her heal and soften those hard edges wrought from a life filled with bitter envy and hate at the world around her. And also sad face that the tower is trauma because soulless. Anyway, um, there is one more card you can unlock with Sarah if you romance her, and that's the hanged man. It's finally time to listen to the romance culmination scene. (laughs) Get ready. I actually have a scene! Oh my god! 
It feels like forever. So, so long ago. So, here we go. I'm the Inquisitor. I could get you anything. But I don't want the Inquisitor to use Inquisitor powers to inquisit everything I want. Sounds a bit too nobly, doesn't it? Besides, I'm grateful now. You'd still rather go shopping? <laughs> I can't believe you shaved that in your... <laughs> Andraste's Herald is touched, all right. That is... <laughs> Sort of. Well, it represents how we came together, I think. I'll show you coming together. Okay. I kind of love that little pun at the end. I'll show you coming together. That, 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 that's a gen line if I ever heard one. <laughs> the rest of this scene, though. I will play it out for you. It starts off that you are undressing each other, and you get to see your own chest. I love seeing my own, quote, quote, own naked body in video games. I think it's hot. I think it's a great way to even role play even further. If you are playing as a man, you are playing as a woman. It does not matter. You are visualizing yourself in this scene and it brings a little bit more of a connection to it. <sighs> now, Sarah is perched on top of you, looking down at your gorgeous, gorgeous lady bits. And you have shaved your pubic hair into a particular shape. Now, this is a funny little inside joke between the two of them. And I think that it really makes it so that way the Inquisitor who romances Sarah is also somebody who really likes Sarah's personality type. That's the only one that I could really see having this type of sex, this type of love, this type of fun. We do hear a couple of thuds in the audio clip. And that is Sarah seeing you shaved and rolling over and falling off the bed in laughter. I love that. It means that she got my sense of humor. It's great. Because it's what she wants, and it's what this version of the Inquisitor wants. And then she pulls you down off the bed, making that second thump. And then you guys have crazy wild sex on the floor. That's great. I love that for you. It's just not for me. I do think that they have amazing sex. I think that they both fully love it. They both fully enjoy it. And they go back to it several times over. I am here for that. Have fun. Have great sex. Scream it from your bedroom windows and make Solus cringe. Yeah. Um, actually, I wanted to say, so... Um, the the pubic hair thing only happens if you agree because before this happens you have to talk to 
every other companion about what kind of gift Sarah would like. And the pubic hair part only plays if you have agreed to do that. Vivienne will give you the idea. And if you turn it down, I think you get one more opportunity to say yes, because Dorian might suggest it. But usually it's Vivienne, which I love, because, of course, Vivienne, who knows how to read people, she would just... And, and she probably thought it was the stupidest idea ever. But because that's so Sarah, she was like, I bet that's what it will be. And so if you accept it, that's when this will play. Otherwise, the scene ends after Sarah climbs on top of your Inquisitor and the fade to black happens. You don't get any naked bits like you do. So I think the scene, that makes it more of a romance scene, obviously, even though it's kind of silly. But um, it matches Sarah. It's just a little too immature for me, I guess, because she feels so young with her behavior that I'm a 32-year-old lady, you know, as Jenna Marbles once said. Like, I cannot be dating her. She feels too young. Yeah. Yeah, I, I see that, and I definitely respect it. Uh, I don't ever see me romancing Sarah, but it it also just has a lot to do with the, I'm not a pranks guy, you know? Like, the practical jokes and oh, stuff like mind. that is is just not my character type, like it, my own personality type. Um, I'm, yeah, it's just not me. But that is a lot of people. And I think that pranks can definitely be funny. And I can take a joke. I can definitely take a prank. Uh, yeah. I don't want to do them, though. Yeah. I love the pranks she does, though, because she does the nice, harmless ones. I think she does serve a really important part of comic relief. It's just she's not everyone's brand of comedy. So the Hanged Man card is ruled by water, which is different than the former two cards that she had as default Sarah and then companion Sarah. Now we're romance Sarah as Hanged Man. So it represents letting go, seeing things differently, and metamorphosis. If the card is reversed, it can mean egotism and an inability to change, which definitely happens in romances that end in a breakup with Sarah, which that can happen far more frequently than the other romances in the game. In matters of love, the Hanged Man card means sacrifice and patience, which the Inquisitor needs a lot of the latter in order to romance Sarah. Being ruled by the water element means that there is a lot of emotion in the relationship. The ripples will be felt by everybody. Sarah's not totally balanced, and she doesn't really want to fall in love with the Inquisitor. It's just fun at first for her. She doesn't really know what love is. Being an orphan that was later raised by a lady who would rather tell a kid the baker was racist than admit she couldn't bake cookies. I'll never get over that. So stupid. Yeah. Extreme stupidity. There is a specific conversation that happens later in the game when you literally watch Sarah finally figure it out. Finally figure out that she loves the Inquisitor. It's so cute. Oh, you. Not you. Not now. Sarah? Sarah! I don't want to talk. Go away. I said go. Away. But what is... I saw you dead. 
You led all of this right up Carifi shit's face, and then the Herald went home to Andraste. It was last night, clear as anything, even with eyes shut. You, in the void, gone. I can't see it again. I can't be with you and see that again. Then I'm sorry for what I didn't do in that thing you imagined. Right, like you have any say. There's holes leaking the fade, dreamland all over the place. Dreams show stuff, stuff I don't want to think about, which is hard because I want to think about you, a lot. You don't act like nobles, I love that. You don't hide, I love that. Maybe you can take or leave cookies, fine. Still love that. And you're not too elfy. Surprise, I can love that. But seeing this really hurt. I'm fighting to make things better and learn truth and shit, and it just keeps getting scarier. I know you don't care about words, but that was a lot of love you just let slip. Well, thank you, old lady smarty pants, turning it all around to show me what I really want. But so what? You're special. Who else is special? Divines, yeah. Wardens, too. Heralds will be different. So yes, love. Lots of it. Who cares against all of everything? It's because I love you that everything had better watch out. It's you and me against it all. Unless you're not up for it. We really need a bigger gap between fighting and kissing. <laughs> so, never going to die? <laughs> right, love is so much better. So, think you'd make a good divine? laugh and then the music that you hear playing in the background that's actually sarah's song the tavern song now before we get into too much discussion about that clip v wanted me to play a portion of the clip in game with a kunari inquisitor so you can hear one of the differences in dialogue that you get it might be minimally different but the approval awards alone make this romance an easy day for a kunari and an uphill battle for elves. You don't act like nobles. I love that. You don't hide. I love that. You don't like cookies. Convenient. Love that. And just look at you. Just love that. Instead of talking about how elves, okay, yeah, I didn't think that I could love that. Or, damn, just look at you. I love that. She like gives you an up-down in the visual clip too she's just like look at your whole entire being i love that <gasps> that was a good one okay so the the clip that ended with the so do you think i'd make a good divine that was a really good one for me i need those key moments where you can show to me that it's not all pranks and laughter and fun and levity. Show me that there is someone in there who is having real, deep, emotional connection. And that's what I need. That line right there almost makes me want to. Almost. Yeah. My favorite part was... What the Inquisitor said back, of like, it's you and me against the rest of everything. I really liked that. 
I, I loved the emotion in her voice, Alex Wilton Reagan. Girl. But I feel bad for Sarah because it's like kind of tragic that that is her reaction to love. Like she really doesn't handle the big emotions well. She's just living in the moment, not really thinking. And then this is the first time she's really had to consider things and her her impression on other people and the effect someone else has on her because she's rather selfish normally. And now it's like just seeing a dream, a nightmare of the Inquisitor dead made her literally run away from the Inquisitor when she woke up and you kind of have to pin her down and yeah, she needs therapy like all the Dragon Age people do. But also it's like, I do, I I like how her path goes because she does get more mature and focused a bit um, from positive influence from the Inquisitor. Yeah. And with that maturity, as the game ends, and if Sarah didn't break up with you in the game, you're still with her two years later at the start of Trespasser. She's actually gotten more mature in those two years and has become sort of a de facto leader of the Freds of Red Jenny. I mean, Red Jenny over here, Red Genesis. She's even offered their services to the Divine herself and the Inquisition should they need it. It's a far distance from the Sarah who said that the friends were just people who listened for when other people needed some help. She still doesn't want to get a title or completely change the power structure, but she is a bit more organized in her efforts. And with her increased maturity, she has decided that she wants to marry the Inquisitor. Sarah, if you're worried about something, you should just tell me. Eight, nine, ten. Is she done talking? Continue. I like new, but hate change. But I can't stop it this time. Usually, I hope it doesn't matter, because lots of times I feel I've seen things before. So who cares? It'll all come round again. But every day, I've never felt this with her. And if it's always only once, then I can't... Um, I didn't... <laughs> the rest is just sketches. There's flowers, and I think it's your butt. So... Marry me? I mean, it's whatever. But you and me are somehow really, really good. And all these endings can get right off that. Really, Buckles. For real. Want to get married? You're a loony. Tell me, do. That's a yes? All the yeses. Every freaking one. <laughs> Aww. Dude. I kind of love I that. So this relationship is absolutely not for me at all because I love the Elfie Elves. Oh, give me them, please. The broody ones, yes. But... Sarah's not broody and not elfy, so I can't. But this is so cute. Like, I think... So when you're listening to her speak, it's really easy to just be like, ugh, she's so annoying. I don't know what she's saying. 
And that's sad because there's a lot of people who speak like this. And I think it shows a really great maturity that she's come from a place where she kind of just brushes things off and, and, and you really, you have to pin her down to get any kind of emotional connection conversation with her in Inquisition. But by Trespasser two years later, I think she's gone to therapy because now she's written her thoughts out. They're still meandering. It's still maybe hard to follow for some people, but she's written them out. She's thought about it ahead of time, which is planning, which is something she's not normally doing. What she specifically says where she said, you know, I, I feel like I've seen all this before, so it'll just come round again. But with her, she's basically saying like every single day feels brand new. She's never seen it before. This is new and good. And it's so cute. That I don't like change, but I like new. And I like the fact that we're having new experiences every day, but you're still here. So that part's not changing. The translation of that is, I found a partner that is giving me new adventures, uh, but is still my constant core partner. I love it. And I love how Inky gets to say like, yes, all the freaking yeses or all the yeses, every freaking one. Like she's adopted Sarah's kind of way of speaking, you know, like that's a, the way Sarah would say something. Your inquisitor can sound very uptight sometimes, <laughs> you know, it depends. We're like very nuanced and very educated and whatever, but like, it's cute because they just seem really to mesh well in Trespasser. And I like the thought of Sarah becoming a little bit more altruistic. And I think maybe that's just also a part of like, now she has a found family with the Inquisition, something she's never had before. So she's just a little street rat who needed a home. She definitely had found friends before, but now she actually has a family that'll look out for her. Like I remember battle banter between like her and Cassandra or between her and Varric. And definitely, if Sarah was getting therapy from anybody, it was from Varric. And Varric was the one who was telling her to write it all down, because that's what he does. And so I think that it definitely, having these interactions with all these people, people other than humans, I think is really important for Sarah, because she's been around them the most. And then obviously the Elfie Elves, yeah, she's never really going to get along with Solus. But I remember by the end of my playthrough, Sarah died and Solus was like, oh, no, somebody raise her, you know, mm. and then yeah. so they may not have liked each other at the end of my playthrough, but they at least respected each other enough to no longer hate each other. Yeah. I think a lot of it also is just Sarah finally not feeling the need to mask her elfishness. Like she's pushed it down so far and, and trying to show everyone, no, I'm a person. I'm a normal person. What she means by that is like, I'm a normal human. That comes with a lot of <laughs> psyche damage of just trying to not be who you are. So it's kind of like interesting to see that. And also like Solus. And Sarah can have thoughtful conversations together. At least in my game, they did. Like when Solus is like, why don't you just take out all the nobles? And she's like, why? So there can just be a new top. And he's like, actually, that's a good point. You know, he's willing to listen to her 
That's like some of her simple wisdom where she doesn't necessarily sound like she's smart, but she says insightful things all the time. Yeah. It's just that if you brush her off to the side as just the comedic relief, you're not ever really going to hear that. And she deserves better than that. I still also played as a rogue, so I never really had her or Cole in my party. (laughs) But I don't I don't hate her. I know that a lot of people do. And while I won't be romancing her and I never did in all my playthroughs, I still befriended her as much as a elfy elf could. Yeah. I also didn't use her because her style was my exact style. Like we were both Tempest archers. So, I mean, there literally would have been two of us on the on the party. So, but I know that with my, I'm not going through a playthrough right now because I'm still working through uh, Dragon Age 2 with my uh, world state that I'm building. But I think that I might use her a little bit more often because I'm going a little bit more of a warrior path because I am romancing Cassandra. Yes. Cassandra is up next for me. So overall, would you romance Sarah? No, I wouldn't romance her, but I am glad she is a companion because unlike the general seriousness of sci-fi, fantasy, like high fantasy worlds, can get away with some ridiculousness. And I think that all comes from Dungeons and Dragons. You know, Dragon Age was originally based off of D&D. And while Mass Effect has some funny moments, it does not have some of the absolute ridiculous out-of-pocket unhinged things that Dragon Age does. And Dragon Age does not have some of the out-of-pocket unhinged things that Baldur's Gate does, but it works in fantasy. It works to see this girl taking everyone's pants and fighting them. It works to throw a hamster at somebody to fight them in high fantasy. And I really like that. People will say, oh, she's the comedic relief. She's the bit of levity. And that's true. But she also only works that way because it's high fantasy. And I love it. Agreed. I also don't know if I have an inquisitor in me who would romance her. But I have a version of me who would be really good friends with her for sure. For sure. I mean, my my Kunari Inquisitor was good friends with her. We definitely went out on all of those pranks together. Um, I'm just too much of a power gamer to actually put her on my squad. That's my own downfall, you know? That's how the cookie crumbles. (laughs) I couldn't help it. (laughs) And that's how the cookie crumbles. And if you like what you are hearing, please be sure to leave a review on iTunes or on Spotify, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast, my co-host Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things cyberpunk. And, of course, in our own Two Girls, One Ship channel on the Robots Radio Discord. And come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash twogirlsoneship. Our theme music was composed by the ever-talented Pipe Man Studios, and our artwork was designed by the esteemed Let's Not. Links are in the description.
I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and at our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10.30pm Eastern Time, 7.30pm Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. So, thanks for listening. And remember, beauty is in the eye of the controller. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Mikola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's The Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.